Welcome to episode eight of the Foundation for Discipleship podcast. I'm Alan Brace with Pastor Tim Barr. Hey, Pastor, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great. It's a wonderful evening, and they say it's going to snow tonight in Missouri. It's got to be a great night. Yeah, exactly. This podcast is meant to help those who are discipling someone and the person who is being discipled who may have a question or two or needs a refresher on a topic or two as they progress through the book, Foundations, Bible Truths for Christian Growth. On this episode, we will be talking about one of the ordinances of the church, that is, baptism. Well, just threw out a big word, ordinances. We should probably define that, and what are the two ordinances that Christ commanded us to, to do? Yeah, so in, in Baptist language, we often talk about the word ordinances. They are prescribed um, service parts of a service that are, that are come out of the new Testament. Um, so a lot of times you hear about sacraments in other churches, they're like special parts of a service. Um, so I, I think from maybe a regular regulated Baptist perspective, what we would say is this, we don't get to make up elements of the service, but everything we do in our worship needs to have a new Testament foundation. And there's two things that are commanded in the new Testament. One is baptism. The other is the Lord's supper. And they are specific liturgical events that have um, a direct picture of the gospel in them. And we do them as part of our local church body life. So baptism, we have baptism, we have communion. Uh, what, what does baptism not do? Uh, we'll get to the reasons for doing baptism here in a little bit, but we should probably establish what baptism doesn't do. You know, I think one of the biggest misconceptions is that baptism saves people from their sins. Um, you know, a lot of people imagine that, Hey, I got, if you ask them, are you a Christian? They say, yeah, I was baptized when I was a baby or I got baptized when I was 16. And, and, it, and you ask them, what do you think that means? And then their perception is that because they have been baptized, that they are already on their way to heaven. Um, and one of my concerns in that model is if we think that baptism saves then they're not being saved by faith. They're really trusting in a work of man, not in the gospel itself. And, and specifically, as we go to looking at our book here on, uh, in uh, pages 49 and 50 and so on, uh, it mentions uh, does not wash away sin. You know, we're cleansed at the moment of salvation. And uh, how would people understand uh, the third point there, which is, baptism doesn't earn special favor with God. Is there, is there a reason why they would think that? Yeah. So there's, there's different language. And, and this is where I want to be really careful as we're talking with people, because in the book, it points out that baptism is not a means for gaining grace with God. Now there's many Baptists, and I, I would put myself in that, that would say that baptism is an ordinary means of grace and by that, what we mean is it is a means by which someone who is already a Christian grows in edification, in their walk with the Lord. It, they grow in sanctification. In other words, being, baptism, being baptized is God showing grace to you in your walk with the Lord, but it is never a means of saving grace. It's never a means of finding mercy. Um, so, and, and this would be the difference, say, in Roman Catholicism. 
um, where people imagine that there's seven sacraments and the first one that you give to an infant child is you get them baptized and that gets them um, into heaven. Um, there is other more denominational churches that view baptism as a means of grace that puts you at least into the family of God, if not into the church, even if they still see a need for a born-again experience. Um, and I just think it's really careful. We need to be really careful in saying that baptism is important in sanctification, but it does not in any way contribute to our salvation. So you've mentioned a couple of ways in which uh, baptism has been sort of misunderstood or twisted or, or what have you. And, and in fact, on, in, uh, in our book, they have a section on that in, the, in this part. Uh, maybe we ought to just jump to that and then come back to some of the reasons for doing baptism or for, for baptism. So let's talk about baptismal regeneration. Um, you, we met, briefly mentioned that a bit ago where someone is not really not born again until they're baptized. Um, I know that, uh, that, that that's the, what baptismal regeneration teaches, right? Right. That, you're, that someone is that, that, that baptism either significantly contributes to their salvation or their salvation occurs at the moment that they are baptized. And that's not just infant baptism, say in Catholicism, that is also like church of Christ understanding of baptism, that there's an adult baptism that someone gets saved at the moment that they're baptized. Um, and speaking of infant bat baptism, why do, what is the reason, uh, just to sort of clarify, um, what, you know, give us understanding, I guess, better than that. Uh, what is the reason they do infant baptism? Is there, oh. is there a particular reason? You know, so there's actually a series of them and they're not, and some of them are interchangeable and some of them are distinct. So if I, I when I talk to people, these are some of the ones I hear the most, um, there's some people who baptize their children um, and, and what they really think is it is getting them connected to God in some significant way. And it's really nebulous. And it's just kind of like, it's what you do when you have a child. Now there is more, um, if you get into the Catholic church, the Eastern Orthodox, Greek Orthodox, they're going to say you baptize an infant because it secures them a um, merit in heaven in some in some fashion. It's it's actually part of saving faith. Then when you move into say um, Lutheranism and and Methodism and places like that, um, baptism is part of uh, of how grace is applied to a child, and it's enough to guarantee them to heaven. Then you get into say the Reformed communities where you notice where there's like a progression of, of right. distinction from. Um, saving, they're going to say that um, baptism gets you into the family of God, um, into the local church, right? So you're, you, the church is now responsible for the child. And many of them would say it enters you into a family covenant. And by being in the family covenant, that guarantees that the child will eventually get saved someday. And by the way, there's a lot of um, wonderful books that are written on all these topics. But I think if we go to scripture and just let scripture speak, what we find is this, um, we, we can trust God to take care of our children. Um, if, if our, and I really believe one of the biggest fears a lot of parents have is what happens if my child were to die um, before that child um, comes to an awareness of the gospel. And we need to remember, we serve a merciful God, right? 
and we trust him and his goodness in those most difficult of uh, decisions. Um, and we need to remind ourselves though, that our children are born sinners by nature and practice, Ephesians 2, um, especially verses 1 through 3 there. And we need to realize that they are sinners by nature and they need to be saved. And then baptism will follow. We'll get to that in a bit. Right. Um and then the other sort of misconception or, or misunderstood, I think our, our book uses the word perversion of baptism, is the mode of baptism. Um, you know, there's sprinkling, there's pouring, there's any number of ways of doing it. Um, you know, we, of course, believe in immersion. Um, explain what it is that and why it is we believe that. Okay, great. Yeah. So... This is an in- interesting thing, by the way. Mode is not as important in the discussion as meaning, okay? The meaning of baptism is important, but mode helps carry the meaning. So right. um, people say, well, why is it that Baptists make such a big deal out of the mode? Um, and they, they love to point back to the desert fathers that live like about 500 AD in Northern Africa. And they said they didn't have any water. So they baptized them in sand. Can't we baptize people in sand or, or, uh, and they, there's all kinds of creative argumentation, but from a Baptist perspective, what we're going to say is this, we're just trying to follow a new Testament pattern that has a new Testament picture. So we're going to say all of the New Testament pattern is related to the idea of people going down into the water and coming up out of the water. Um, I remember one time we did a baptism in a small town that I was at, and um, it was a largely Roman Catholic town. And uh, we decided to do an outdoor baptism, and it was up in Minnesota. It was The ice had came out the week before. And so I walked down into the water and I looked at the poor young lady who was getting baptized and said, do you really want to do this here? And we looked up at all kinds of neighbors that were Roman Catholic had come out. People had pulled up in cars and were watching. And she's like, we're doing this. And it was the only time I ever felt really bad baptizing someone because I didn't want to go under that water. It was so cold. And but afterwards next week many people came up and talked to me and they said you know we heard you were doing a baptism and we wanted to see what one looked like when like the ones john the baptist did right i mean they understood that baptism looked like this in the bible times and what we're trying to do is simply keep an old a new testament pattern alive but there's a reason that when the person is standing up it pictures them the cross first of all when they go underneath the water, it pictures Christ in the grave. And when he comes back up, it pictures the gospel, Christ raising from the dead. But it also is our identity with those things, right? Mm-hmm. Right. We once were in sin, we're buried in Christ, we walk in newness of life. So for us, there's a there's a pattern, but there's also um, and a really a, a beautiful picture of the gospel that we don't want to lose. Exactly. Um, so that that's sort of leads us into our next topic of, of why do we baptize, uh, the reasons for it. Uh, one, of course, you just mentioned is because we have um, become immersed into Christ. Uh, and it's it's sort of a uh, a symbol, if nothing else, uh, to those a testimony to those around us. But compare spiritual baptism to water baptism for us. Yeah, excellent. So I think Romans 6 is probably the, the clearest passage. It deals with what baptism, what spirit baptism is. At the moment that a person 
accepts Christ, a number of things happen at that moment. It's the moment someone is justified. It's the moment they're born again. It's the moment they're initially sanctified, okay? But at that moment, we are baptized. We're all baptized into one body, okay? That means at the moment of salvation, we're baptized. So Romans 6 gives us more of the theology of that. Um, but the idea is that we are fully immersed um, in, in the Holy Spirit right? This is not an issue of yieldedness or filling. This is the Holy Spirit becomes the seal of our redemption at the moment that we are born again. And at that moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit indwells us. We don't lose him. And so if you, the, the Holy Spirit is the one who makes us born again. And Titus 2, 5 through 8 is, helps us understand that, it, that we are regenerated by means of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit entering us at the moment of salvation gives us new life. He stays with us and he keeps us. Okay. All of that happens internally and no one can see it. Right. Right. So water baptism pictures the gospel, right? Death, burial, and resurrection. But in water baptism, we're saying something that everyone can see. That we who once walked in sin have been identified with Christ under the water. And as we come up, we're coming up and saying we're walking in newness of life. We're not saying the water does it. We're saying with the water picture that spirit baptism has already occurred. So we have, uh, we have baptism as an identifier, uh, identifying us with Christ, uh, and, and we become immersed in Christ uh, spiritually, um, and Christ has come into us. Yeah, it's interesting. If you look at, say, the Great Commission at the end of Matthew, in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, right? Um, you have that, as you're going, make disciples, and then you have that the second step of that, if you want to call that, is baptizing them in the name singular right. of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's Trinitarian baptism. Right. And then you move into the book of Acts, and all the way through the book of Acts, people are, ident- are baptized in the name of Jesus. And, okay. and so some have said, well, wait a second. Is that somehow contradictory? And the answer is absolutely not. To be identified with Christ is to be identified with the Trinity. But when people are being baptized, they're picturing their spirit baptism. And what they're doing is they are identifying with Jesus as the Messiah. Now, so I want to be really clear. Baptism is Trinitarian. We baptize in the name singular of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But in that, you are identifying with Jesus Christ. You are no longer, if you once were a follower of Muhammad... You are no longer Islam. You are a Christian. If you once were a secularist who denied God, you are now publicly saying, I am a Christian. No matter what you once were, in baptism, you are publicly saying, I am a Christian. Now, it happened at the moment you were spirit baptized, but you're telling people publicly through water baptism. Very good point. That's an exceptional point. And, and I think that people sometimes stumble when they, when they read that the Great Commission. And then, as you say, go into Acts and, and other places where they're, they're talking about being baptized um, in, into, uh, in the name of Jesus. And we really find that the third point uh, that our book makes here is, is all, we've already sort of talked about, and that is 
uh, baptism really is a testimony for Jesus. It is typically the first time you get to publicly uh, tell people what it is that Jesus did for you, how you were saved and how you were uh, raised to a new life. Yeah, and the one thing I always wrestle with, how is it really the very first public statement of someone's faith? My answer is probably not, okay? Um, most of us have probably maybe went forward in an invitation or maybe um, we told our parents that we were Christians first. Mm -hmm. um, I had a prof one time that he said he was just became a Christian in college and he was getting a checkbook and at the counter they had the fish symbol that you could have on your checks and 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 he saw it and he knew it was a symbol of Christianity and he knew that if he had the you know the, the symbol of Christianity on his checks that he'd be identified with Christ and he did that, but he got baptized later. Okay. Mm -hmm. But it was important to him that every place he spent his money, people would know he's a Christian. So we, we demonstrate our faith in many public ways, but there is one specific one that is commanded. It's an ordinance. Okay. Right. It's commanded in the great commission. It, it's modeled all the way through the book of acts and it's emphasized um, even in the epistles. And so what I'm going to say is it's not always the first, but it is an essential one with an essential picture. Um, you know, I, I, I get to travel sometimes around the world and, and teach pastors around the world. And um, one of the things that's always amazing to me is I don't know their language. I often don't know their culture well. Uh, I'm teaching, preaching, and things like that. And um, But if they have a picture of someone being baptized on the wall, we can all look at it, point at it, and we all know what is being said, right? Yep. This is yep. a universal, timeless picture that the church has used. And, and so it's really important that we do it right. And speaking of the Great Commission, um, that is one of our memory verses. Uh, uh, go, therefore, and, and uh, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That would be one of our memory verses. And we encourage people to, uh, to do that. How do we, we uh, in our last chapter, we talked about sin and confession of sin and so on. And we also discussed, you know, hiding God's word in our heart. This is a very important part of, of this discipleship program. Yeah, if I can hit a, a couple of little simple things that are important in this conversation too. One is if you notice in the Great Commission, people become disciples, they get baptized, and then they get taught all things. So right. maybe if you're listening to the podcast and, and you're wrestling with, is this the right time to be baptized? If you know you're a follower of Jesus, right, you're, you're, you're a born-again Christian, and you know it, and you have never been water baptized, now's the time. And right. you're just like, but I don't know everything yet. Okay, the Bible pattern is you become a follower, then you get baptized, then you keep learning, right? And so that's important. The second thing is this. It's a church event. Because right. the Great Commission was given to the church. The church is to go, the church is to baptize, and the church is to teach. So right. you're like, what do I do? The answer is you come to your local church, and if you're coming to Tri-City, we're going to encourage you to come, talk to us as pastors, and say, hey, I think I need to be baptized. If you're, in a, if you're a mentor in a small group and, and someone's not baptized, what you want to do is, 
encourage them that if they know they're born again, this is the next step. Bring them to us. Don't just tell them to come. Bring them to our pastors and say, this person is ready to be baptized. They're talking about it. And, and we want to help them in that process. Our biblical responsibility as a church is to, is to take people who are born again, to baptize them, and then we're not done. You're, you're, we're not done with people when they're baptized. We're going right. to keep teaching them. That's why we have all the rest of the chapters in the book and many years to come, hopefully. Exactly, exactly. And we'd also encourage you to pray for uh, the mentorees, the the students. Um, it is a, it is a challenge, and and we mentioned early on in in our podcast. Uh, that there is going to be a change and they need to expect a change. And some of these changes are difficult. And so we'd encourage you to pray for those who uh, you are leading. Yeah, especially so, the ones that are looking at baptism. Boy, if you got someone you're mentoring that's struggling with baptism, you need to pray for them. Um, you know, if you grew up in a Baptist home, getting baptized is exciting. Your parents come, your grandparents come, everybody's excited. You come from a different background and you choose to follow the Lord and believers baptism. Not everybody understands, not everybody appreciates that choice, but it is still biblically required. And so I would encourage you, if you're working with someone, you'd be praying for them as they work through these important decisions. Exactly. Well, we thank you for joining us on the foundations for discipleship podcast. Join us on other episodes as we seek to help those who are discipling others and those who are being discipled to get a better understanding of how Jesus would want us to live and an understanding of God's word for pastor Tim Barr. I'm Alan Brace. So long. So long.